This is Copilots, the podcast where we watch not just the first episode of a show, but also the second. Some shows just don't have the best pilot episode, and giving it that second chance might just sway your mind. Here we take that chance for you and let you know our opinions on if it deserves more than one shot. I'm Justice. Alongside me is my co-pilot Josh, who is annoyingly, annoyingly, annoyingly humming a theme for this week's show. So, you want know what? Let's just go ahead and jump into it. Your in-flight entertainment this week will be Tattooed Teenage. Do-do-do. Alien Fighters. Tattooed Teenage Alien Fighters from Beverly Hills. I'm so glad you took that pitch. <laughs> I didn't want to. I tried. I tried to stop it. I apologize for what you've just heard, but uh, we're not doing this opening again. We've tried three times, and he won't stop. So you're stuck with this, people. I apologize. So this, this week's entertainment is Tattooed Teenage Alien Fighters from Beverly Hills. It's a little bit of a mouthful. More than a little. In fact, I'd say it gives any light novel a run for its money. Yeah. Is it wrong to pick up girls in a dungeon? You got some more other suggestions? I don't know light novels. <laughs> the time I got reincarnated as a slime. Oh, yeah, that, that's one. Uh, I died and got sent to another world with my smartphone. Roka no Yusha? That's awesome. That was a light novel. Yeah, its name's much longer, though. Uh, the Braves of the Six Flowers. It's longer. That's the shortened version of its name. Oh. So, yeah, it, it just it's a very long title. Yeah. Tattooed Teenage Alien Fighters from Beverly Hills. I my, saw- teen, my teen romantic comedy snafu. I saw a, uh, I've actually, I've seen multiple places that try to like make it shorter by abbreviating it to T-T-A-F-F-B-H. Which just feels more difficult to say, actually. It's so much more difficult to say. Anyways, this show debuted on October 8th, 1994, and it actually ran for over a year before it was canceled, in December 8th, 1995. And it ran on the USA and NBC television networks. You know, actual channels that have actual TV programming. Were those actual channels at the time, though? I I was a year old. I can't attest to them actually being real Why channels. can you not attest to this? You were alive. Attest to things. Anyways. You disappoint me. Anyways, this show is in the Sentai genre. I think you've mentioned that already? Yeah, maybe, maybe not. We lost some audio. Yeah, so in case I didn't, and if I did, Josh can edit this part out, the show falls into, like, the whole Sentai Ranger thing. So I think Power Rangers, Kamen Rider, like, Gaim, Game, Mighty Morphin Beetleborgs. That's not their name, but it's Beetleborgs, whatever it is. Super Sentai and so on and so forth, yeah. But unlike all of those except Beetleborgs, which is an exception to the rule already, this is a completely American-made production. Unlike Power Rangers, which used... Footage from things Sentai that Rangers, I think. Like, I, I don't know if that's what it was. Yeah, but it, they used footage from that stuff. That's where all the like the Power Ranger fight scenes come from with the monsters and stuff. Yeah, um, and they just inserted American actors in the other parts. This show, on the other hand, is completely American made. You can tell because when they transform, they look like American gladiators. They, they're just wrestlers. They're like amateur wrestlers. That's what they look like. They're beefed up amateur, per, amateur professional wrestlers. I don't want to confuse anybody. And make them think. When I say amateur wrestling, I'm talking like Greco-Roman. I'm talking like WWF, because this is 1994, and WCW. Like, these guys would have been jobbers on, on, on those shows. If you don't know what a jobber is, it's someone that goes in, loses, to make other people look good. Yeah, because none of these guys, none of these people playing 
the tattooed teenage alien fighters from Beverly Hills as their Sentai Ranger forms have any charisma at all. No. But they can do flips. Some of them. <laughs> that brings us to, to this point. This is episode one. In the beginning. And the show starts with a theme song. A theme song that you got a little taste of earlier. And we don't need to do it again. It's fine. But if you remember any time I've ever said that a theme song was good, I want you to kind of throw that aside because this theme song is better. As a better example of what he's talking about, think about all those theme songs that I said weren't that good. I meant that. And I'll mean this here when I say, this one's actually pretty good. Also, the outro song is also just as good as the theme song. That's because it's just the same, but without the lyrics. That makes sense. Don't delude them. Don't try to make them think it's more than it is. Hey, the show actually has other music in it, and all the music is fun. I mean, it has like one other song, and the other song is better than the than the opening song, but... I disagree with that. There is nothing more catchy than... I didn't say it was catchier. I said it was better. There is a difference. Anyways, um... <clears throat> we open on a space station with tense music playing. And this really cool-looking villain. Probably villain. He's the villain. He's the villain of the show, but is he the villain in our hearts? No. He's the most important character. He's in this dope, black, knight-looking armor. Kind of spacey. Sitting in a throne, because that's what you do when you're the emperor of a galaxy. Yes. Trying to be the emperor of a universe. And he actually looks good. Like, a lot of these shows in the Sentai genre... They might have good designs, but the costume turnout always so, feels kind of bad. This is actually one of the better Sentai costumes I've seen, so which is weird because the rest of these costumes are really bad. So you remember when we watched the first two episodes of Kamen Rider because we were thinking about reviewing that? Yeah. I'm just so glad the outfits in this are better than Kamen Rider. Are they? Yes. The spider... The spider with a cape. <laughs> we might get like we might get the common rider cape. eventually, guys. But no spider promises. with a cape is my spirit animal. So, another alien walks into the throne room control deck of the space station. Yes, and hands the big bad evil guy a triangular shape of a triangular shaped piece of plastic. <clears throat> Um, actually, it's a hexagon. The tips of the triangles have been cut off. Don't push your glasses upon me like that. I just fucking did. Okay, so it's a hexagonal shape, shaped like a triangle with no tips. Yes. And it's actually a map to what are called power portals. Do we know what those are? Um, no. No. I assume they're portals. But for what? Power. Hmm... We actually get this explained later. I'm going to quit being around the bush here and just jump to the next part where this big bad evil guy is really happy to have had a minion actually do their job correctly. Because everyone knows that's really rare when you're in the evil guy business. Like, you expect your minions to fail. You hire them. You don't know why you did it. Literally, I think it's part of like the, the worker union rights. You're setting up an evil empire. You have to hire minions. And you're not allowed to fire them even if they fail. But you are expected to punish them. Yeah, there's definitely an evil minion workers union. There has to be. Mm-hmm. But he hands them this map with power portals, and the big bad evil guy's like, well, 
That's probably that's probably worth a reward of a million credits. And time on one of my pleasure planets. He has pleasure planets. We know he's a good guy. Yeah, like his pleasure planet Edon Six. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, "And how about something for my personal treasure?" And waves his hand, and something appears in his it's hand. Like a tiny little chest with like a glowy rock in it. And then the alien reaches out for it, and the big bad evil guy steps back. He's like, "But wait, what's this? You fell to kill Nimbar." We don't know who Nimbar is, but this the is... The first time I thought he said Nimba, and I was like, did, did he mean to say Simba? I actually wrote Nimba in my notes twice at this point. <laughs> but this is the best delivered line in this entire episode. It's so good. Yeah, because it goes from like this deeper, gruffer voice to like, he raises the pitch, but still keeps like the gruffness to it somehow. It's so dark and playful. Like, Yeah. I'm really okay with this character. He's my favorite. I want more. Yeah, and so then he's like, mm, you failed to heal Nimbar. That was part of your job. Too bad. You're going to get sentenced to 40 years of living death in the toil mines now. Yep. And then there's the other alien sitting next to the throne. So this other alien, I'd like you to picture Toucan Sam. I'm there, Toucan Sam. The, now, bird, the if, bird from Fruit Loops. Yes, now if you've seen the Dark Crystals, whether it be the old or the new. Uh, the old one, yeah. I'm here. Picture one of the Skeksis. Okay. Now take it and... Put it in a Cronenberg machine. Okay, okay. Along with Toucan Sam, push that button. Oh, yeah. That, that's what this bird is. Yeah. It's Skexy Sam. Except it's got teeth on its beak. Razor, sharp, thin, toothpick teeth. And after the big bad evil guy teleports away the alien that gave him the map, he's like, that was so generous of you, sir. For only 40 years? Good job. I'm doing a terrible voice because he's actually voiced... By David L. Landers, um, which is probably the most famous actor in the show. He did, like, Laverne and Shirley. Yeah. And for a younger generation, he was in the first scary movie as the principal. I don't even know if that's young enough to cover some people that will listen to this. I have no idea, man. I'm trying to remember what you referred to when you say scary movie. Oh, it's... Oh, the knockoff parody movies. It's, yeah, it's the, it was the yeah, first, yeah, it was like the first genre knockoff. Yeah, yeah, I spawned all of those other genre knockoffs. I just hate those. Yeah, I And it that. was like a parody of the movie Scream. And other horror movies, but mainly Scream. And actually, we're 11 minutes into this, and because we had a restart because our, we lost some audio, I forgot one important thing. Yes. This show was suggested to us by one of our frequent flyers. That it was. And he's been there since episode one flying with us. We want to thank him. So, thanks, Dustin, for recommending this show. Um, yeah, thank you, I guess. It, it was a thing. The theme song was enjoyable, at least. If the he theme had a- song and Big Bad Guy, whose <laughs> name we don't know yet, but I'm going to go ahead and say it, Gorganus. Gorganus is fun. If he hadn't suggested this, I would have never got that theme song stuck in my head for the past four days. Yes, if he never suggested this, I wouldn't have had to listen to that theme song for the past four days. Anyways, the bird guy... And Emperor Gorgonus, we don't know his name yet. Gorgonus and Skeksy Sam. Are talking about the power portals and how they need to conquer this third planet from the bright star. Because they don't know the Earth's name, which I appreciate. Yeah, because they haven't been there. They haven't sent anybody down to Earth yeah, yet. Yeah, no. Yeah. But they're about to. Well, yeah. kind of somebody. Yeah. Gorgonus decides that he needs to conquer Earth because he can't destroy it. If he destroys it, he can't get the power portals. So he's going to send his samurai robot down. Ninja bot. Samurai Robot. Ninja named, Bot. Named Ninja Bot. Yep. So we see Ninja Bot on Earth, and 
he's has to be like out in the desert somewhere near California, in yeah. California near Beverly Hills. I think in real life he's on a soundstage somewhere. Oh yes, obviously uh-huh. soundstage. Yeah. But he is gigantic compared to the surroundings. His it, elbow is like even with power lines that he is destroying. I would say cutting down with his samurai sword, but he only cuts one object. The rest of the time he shoots lasers from the tip of his sword. And that one object he cuts is a rock. A giant like stone, rock pillar thing formation. And uh, it doesn't even like, he cuts it and it doesn't fall. And it really feels like somebody's standing off on the side of the stage and is like, that was supposed to fall over. You need to knock it down. So he just like takes the flat of the katana and like, kind of taps it from the bottom and it just flips over. <laughs> oh, it's so good. <laughs> yeah. And from there, we cut to a road sign that says Beverly Hills. And then Rodeo Drive. And then outside of a cafe. Cafe Maison. Which... I'm going to say all pretentious-like. Which means... Coffee house or some shit in French. Okay, yeah, you took French. I never did. I I mean... When we get German words, I'll I'll do my best to translate those. I wasn't a fan of it, but I took it. And so we cut to the inside of Cafe Maison. Did I say that right? Was that good? Was that a good Good enough. It's not pretentious enough. Okay, cool. And inside the cafe, we we're introduced to one of the first alien fighters. Except he's not an alien or a fighter yet. Nor is he tattooed. But and he I, is teenage. And actually, I want to hit that real fast. When I first heard about this show, I assumed that they were tattooed aliens who were teenagers from Beverly Hills who fought. But instead, they are... Tattooed teenagers... Who fight aliens. aliens and happen to be from Beverly Hills. Yes. You didn't at any point think they were tattooed teenagers who fought aliens from Beverly Hills. That would have been the fucking best. <laughs> the, all the Beverly Hills elite is just aliens. <laughs> like, they're fighting, like, Will Smith and shit. Mm, God, that would have been the best. <laughs> I want that show now. It changes the story of Independence Day a lot. Oh, Yeah. Anyways, we meet one. We meet the first alien fighter in here, Swinton, and he is talking to his father. And he is the stereotype of a smart antisocial kid. Yeah, and he's currently being lectured by his father because, because apparently, according to his father, he refused to take a physics assignment. However, according to him, that's not the case. He just didn't want to work with the other people. Have we mentioned his name yet? His name is Swinton. I think we said it like two or three times now, and just okay, forgot about it. Yep, his name is Swinton. We get a first name from his dad at one point, but it's literally the only time in these two episodes they say his first name. Yeah. So he just gets a lecture from his dad about how he needs to work together, especially because he just skipped a grade, so he's the youngest in his class. But dad, Einstein worked alone. To which his father agrees with that statement. Now, tell me, did Einstein work alone, Josh? As far as I know, no. Like... He was integral to the invention of the atom bomb, and that required multiple people. Oh, I just assumed all of those were split personalities. Like, are Robert Oppenheimer and Albert Einstein not the same person? That would legit be an awesome, like, sci-fi novel. <laughs> I'm I'm not going to say it wouldn't be. No, they're all just different Albert Einsteins from different timelines, because when he split the atom, they all ended up in the same location before they split the atom so that they could split the atom so they would all end up in the same location to split the atom. I want this as a story now. Like, as a comic or a movie or something, Jesus Christ, I would watch this. Hollywood, if you're listening, (laughs) take this idea. We're not going to claim copyright. Do it. Make it a movie. 
a really shitty B sci-fi movie. I understand if you have money, you can make it better. I don't want that. I want it to be a B sci-fi movie. If we're making shitty B sci-fi movies, can we star Bruce Campbell in this? Is he? Can he play Einstein and Robert Oppenheimer and all the other Einsteins? Yes. I'm there for it. Okay. So anyways, his dad's like, but you have to have people review your work for you. Like this guy who just sent me these photos of a giant alien samurai out in the desert. Yeah. Because his dad works with some type of publication, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. So we continue on and we get the names of the rest of the tattooed teenage alien fighters from Beverly Hills. Only after his dad's like, you need to work with people. Yes. And he's like, but dad, they aren't dedicated physics majors. Which he's not either. And fun fact, the project we're going to get to in a bit, not physics based. They're in high school. None of them are physics majors. I mean, no more physics-based than existing on our material plane makes something physics-based. Anyways, the group's names... Gordon Henley. And he only cares about his appearance. Not, like, physical appearance, but how he looks to others. Drew Vincent. Who is totally out to lunch. That's a quote. Whatever that means. Yeah. And Lori Foster. Who is a cheerleader. Yeah. I assume out to lunch means back a case out of their head. Oh, they're the thing. Breakfast Club. Yes, they are. The... Did it take you this long to realize that the Breakfast Club? Really? <laughs> well, there's only four of them. Every American version of Sentai Rangers are the Breakfast Club. There's only four of them, though. Yes, we just skipped the bad boy. <laughs> you're right. This, oh. That is the one you cut. Oh, you're right. <sighs> Anyways... We cut to the group meeting, the his science group meeting, and everyone's there except for Swinton. Yeah. He's running late. And he's running late because he had completed the project all on his own. Yep. And when he's telling the group this, Gordon's there because he's a part of the group. And he's like, he, he asks to check it out. To, and Swinton, he's insulted by the, by the insinuation that they need to check out his work. Yeah. So his work, by the way, appears to be... Random PVC pipe. Yeah. Some computer boards. Okay. And what looked like an old joystick for like an Atari console, the old joystick you get for the Atari, you know, on the back end of it, all just adhered to a two by four somehow. Yeah. With a few lights here and there added for flavor. No, don't get me wrong though. Swinton kind of makes sense in the way he refuses with the fact that he refuses Gordon, not in the way he does it because... The way Gordon's talking, it's basically coming across as clearly I should be the one to present this and be in charge because I'm the only white male in the group. Because Lori and Drew are both white women and Swinton's a black man. Yeah. Gordon has the whole I'm white and straight and a guy. I'm clearly in charge of everything. The show doesn't come out that way. The show makes Gordon just to be a dick. He's like, but but Swinton, I have to be able to explain it because I obviously have the best communication skills and the best charisma. It's because he's the 80s villain from like every teen movie. <laughs> he is. Yeah, 100%. Except for, right, that's 90s. Never mind. You're right, 80s. We're moving on. Yeah, no, no, no. The show is from the 90s. Most of the people they belong, from the 80, belong in the 80s. And... Yeah, so Swinton reaches over to set up the device that is the project that he built all by himself. 
And then Gordon tries to reach over and like touch something. He's like, what is this? And Swinton goes to stop him and knocks over one of the drinks on the table. So it's also at this point that we find out that this device is literally just meant to detect secondhand smoke in the air. Yeah. Real physics-based there, Swinton. Anyways. You know, it could have been a laser. It looked like it should have been a laser. Lasers are physics-based. You're anyway. bending and, refla- and refracting light. Anyways, when Gordon reached over and Swinton stopped him, he, Swinton knocked over a glass of cola, spilled it all over the project, and now there's a shiny rainbow color in the air. It's a weird, shiny gas cloud. Or, theoretically, it could just be any of the mini energy beans from Star Trek. Yeah. And the teens are all initially taken aback by this, like, what? But then Drew immediately, Drew is immediately like, awesome. And she approaches it, and then she touches it, like, pokes it, and she's like, and there's a shocking noise. And the other's are like, you should stay away from that. And she doesn't care, he just jumps through it. Yep, she's like, we should explore it, which I don't know what she means by explore it, because she didn't, like, when she put her hand against it, her hand didn't go anywhere. It was, there was yeah. just, like, an electric shock. And then she's like, we need to explore it. And... It's the only word she knows that can also somewhat mean investigate. Yeah. I I haven't heard my notes that in a different world, in a different story, this would end up with her in a different dimension dealing with elder gods whose mere presence is driving her insane. I mean, you're not wrong, yeah. Honestly, the portal kind of looks like that one card from Arkham Horror. Like, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, like, that's what it looks like. Arkham Horror. Great board game. Buy them. It's Yeah, it's very good. Um... And then each of the people, like, run in after her. Swinton's like, I have to go save... I have to go, like, help her. Like, what if no, no, she's no. in danger? Oh. Swinton's intrigued by the scientific... Science of, yeah. By the science of it. And then Lori's like, well, we gotta go help them, talking to Gordon. Yeah. What if they're in danger? And then Gordon just basically doesn't want to be alone and seen as a coward. So he runs after them, saying, I better get extra credit for this. And then screams the entire time. Gordon. Uh, by the way, the, the tone of voice is basically the same. There's no the reason why he would get extra credit for ass. this. Exactly. We end up in some sort of cave place with alien technology. Yeah. And uh, they think it's a UFO and say they've gotten abducted. This, this is an abduction. You've just... This is just breaking and entering. Yeah. Violating aliens' rights to privacy. Okay, we've talked about our ghost politics. Let's not get into the alien politics. That one, because of the term, is a bit more uh, <laughs> problematic. I could see some tasty cut and pastes if we get into alien yeah, politics. Yeah, we're not going to do that. That's why we're not. No, we're fine. <laughs> yeah, so they end up in this cave that's got alien tech in it, and it's all smoky. And But Lori thinks that they are in a UFO, even though the walls of the cave are obviously like stone and rock. Yeah. And then there's a blob on a pedestal. Okay, so now back to my ways to help you visualize things. So, I assume many of you have seen a blobfish. Now, first of all, I want you to recognize that is not the way a blobfish naturally looks. That is from us bringing it up way too fast from the bottom of the ocean and causing it to be crushed. Well, not crushed. Crushed is right. It's It's gravity. Yeah, but it's actually more pressurized at the bottom of the ocean. It's because of the change in pressure. Hmm. Yeah, you're right. It's not crushed. It's being. It's putting too much pressure on the inside of its yeah, body. Yeah, yeah. It's causing it to expand and. Basically, it's like what would happen if somebody grabbed you and yoinked you a mile into the air, with no with no time to like. Yeah. Acclimate to that. 
in case you're wondering what would happen, you would pretty much blow up. Yeah. So blobfishes don't normally look like that, but imagine that blobfish. Ignore the cruel, inhumane torture that it takes to get those pictures. And now, if you've seen Doctor Who, if not, you can either Google the name of this man, who's probably going to be harder to find, or you can Google no, no, the, oh. the name of the character from this show. Okay, yes. Or instead, you could continue to picture the blobfish. And think of the face of Bo from Doctor Who, if necessary, Google. And now imagine, someone made the two of those copulate. And this is what you get. This is Nimbar. A blob who sits on a pedestal and glows and throbs as it speaks in air quotes because it it brainwaves. Yes. And so the blob uses footage from earlier that it projects onto a wall. To exposit. And it's literally using the footage of Garganos from earlier. Yes, and we also learn Garganos' name now. We also learn where he's from. He's from the planet Malcular. Macula. I spelled that wrong. It's Macula. Okay, cool. And the blob claims that it's the only thing standing in the way of Garganos and him ruling the entire universe. And the blob also happens to inform us he is from Alpha Centauri. He also informs us that power portals allow instant teleportation throughout the universe or galaxy. It's unclear. Yeah, you know, not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, no, if you're going to rule a universe or a galaxy, being able to transport things from one place to another instantaneously seems very important. Yeah, it does. And also, because this guy, because Nimbar is a blob on a pedestal, who, when we get to them, we get to it, can grow arms right out of his body. Weird, squishy arms. Um, I think Nimbar is the villain. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. We have a bit more reason for that in a moment. But so Nimbar exposits all the stuff we already know and just the stuff about the power portals. And he's like, and so I have summoned you here to be galactic sentinels so you can fight against... Gorganus. Because your military stands no chance against him. And then Drew says, and this is the first attempt the show does at name-dropping itself, feature that. We're teenage alien fighters. Yes. And so their question, like, why are we the ones? Why are we here? And, and Nimbar says, because you bear the tattoos. The, the tattoos, the marks of the intergalactic sentinels. And Gordon's like, nuh-uh. And so Nimbar's like, that can be rectified. And he just pops out an arm. He's like, yeah. Gordon's like, nuh-uh. And the blob's like, oh. And then he pops an arm out of his body. After saying a weird word in Alien. And they're like, you dropped out of English for a moment. And Swinton's like, I think he meant oops. And then he says, oops. And he pops out the arm, and he touches them, and he's like, now you have the tattoo. And Gordon's just like, oh shit, he right. It makes it feel like he just arbitrarily opened a rift to where he could find four people all at once and plan on making whoever those four people were fight. And after they get their their glowy tattoos, Drew says, feature that. Now we're tattooed teenage alien fighters. Yes. And I'd like to point out immediately... From the first episode to the cover art of the box we have, because we purchased this, there is a continuity error. He touches all of them on the left arm where their tattoo goes. On the cover of the box, Lori's tattoo, the only one visible, is on her right arm. Okay, then. The blob, the glowing, pulsing blob on the, on the pedestal, tells them that he needs them to go fight NinjaBot. They object because they're like, we don't know how to fight, bro. Like... We're teenagers from Beverly Hills. And the blob's like, it's okay, stand on those transo discs. They'll give you all the knowledge and abilities you need to fight. They will give you the knowledge and abilities correlating to the 
Galactic Sentinel you best represent, which will be represented by star signs. In your from your galaxy. Stars from your galaxy. And whatever. he's like, Gordon, you are Tauros because you are strong, dependable, and follow the rules. Swinton, you are Apollo, for you are innovative, bright, and maker of new rules. And then he kind of runs out of steam because he's like, just like, Drew, you're independent. You break rules. You're Centaur. Lori. Uh, you bring people together. And you, you know what rules to follow. You're going to be Scorpio. Yeah, it really just feels like the writers gave up when they tried to describe the girl's character. They're yeah. like... Also, it feels like Nimbar just has a hard-on for basing things on how people will deal with rules for some reason. These... Yeah. Um, and then... As he's doing all this expositing, he's just like, trust me, people. I'm the superior being in the room. Mm-hmm. You know, the superior mind that can't fight on his own. It's just a blob on a dais. A blob on a dais. And did not choose people with the Galactic Sentinels tattoos. So, he has them stand on the transo discs. And then he's like, you have to say the name of your Galactic Sentinel. And they're all confused by it. And Swinton's like, it's a sound resonance key. So Nimbar's like, it feels like he's speaking down to them. And he's like, yes, of course. See, I was right to pick you. And I feel so much like he's like, I mean, that's not fucking right at all. But congratulations, kid. It makes sense to you. And you're helping me reinforce that I'm right. It's such a dismissive tone he takes. He's just like, yeah, that's what it is. Mm Mm-hmm. So then they all shout the names of their sentinels. And are immediately replaced with muscle peeps in spandex with mm-hmm. silver face paint. I think they're masks, actually, because they never move and they make sound effects. So that's, I think it's like a silver little plate mask. That's Over fair. their mouth and nose. And from that point on, all dialogue is obviously dubbed. Yes. And they get teleported to fight Ninjabot. And not only is Ninjabot giant, but so are each of them. Which makes me question, when did they become giant? Did they become giant when they teleported out of there to fight monsters? Or did they come giant the moment they enter the cave room? I have honestly no idea. Or did they come giant when they step on the disc, shout the names, and then the room grows exponentially with them? I also have no it's idea. It's alien technology. Who knows? But during the fight um, with Ninjabot, they all summon weapons out of nowhere, which is kind of like a Sentai thing. Like I mean, uh, before that. Oh, sorry. Kind of a Sentai thing, but less so because it serves no purpose. They flip, a la- they flip around everywhere. Not attacking, not fighting, just flipping around. Yeah, and then during the fight, they summon their weapons, which is also a Sentai thing. And Swinton has some sort of, I don't it, fucking know It looks know like what. a dual-sided pizza cutter. Yep, and then Gordon has a weighted quarterstaff. Drew has an axe. I mean, it, it looks like it might be like a weird crystalline spear, maybe. It honestly looks like one of those poles they used in American Gladiator. It, it really does, stands. Yeah. But one side is slightly smaller than the other, which is why I think it's more spearish. I don't know. And then Drew has an axe, and Laurie has a single hook sword. You know, a weapon that's typically used in tandem with another one. Yeah. Now, they don't use these weapons for melee fighting, which is why it's probably okay that Laurie has a single hook sword instead of two. Instead, they just shoot energy blasts out of the weapons. To which I ask, why have bladed weapons? Like, I get it. The Power Rangers and so many other things, like, like I said before... Common Rider, they all shoot lasers at some point, right? Yeah. Normally from their bladed weapons. Do you know what else they do with those weapons, though? Still hit things with them. Play play them as a flute that makes trumpet noises. I mean, I'd be down with that. Especially if it summons, uh, if it summons like a giant Nimbar and he just like Katamari rolls around on things. 
Um, here's my favorite part about these weapons that shoot laser blasts. All of them shoot laser blasts out of the weapon part of the weapon. Yes. Except for Lori's. Where, no, no, it technically does. The <laughs> because curved, a hook sword is all, all weapon. Yeah, besides like, the handle. The curved guard in front of your hand is bladed. But she shoots it out of the handguard, yeah. Like tiny little U out of the handguard. It's so good. So they defeat NinjaBot here, but Garganos is watching and he's upset. So he so he increases NinjaBot's power somehow. He increases NinjaBot's power by shooting NinjaBot with more lasers from wherever Garganos is. Somewhere in space. Yeah. And then NinjaBot gets up and he shoots beams at the weapons of the tattooed teenage alien fighters. And their weapons disappear in like a little thing of lightning and electricity. <laughs> yeah. So they all link their arms together in like a square. Yeah, kind of like the um, pretty infamous scene from Yu-Gi-Oh! where they all sticking their hands together. Eh, no. Uh, yeah? No, because they like link hand to forearm, hand to forearm, hand to forearm. Yeah, that's fair. It just reminded me of the Yu-Gi-Oh! thing, which is now kind of a meme. So Yeah. Or it was a meme. I don't know, man. I, I don't meme. Anyways, they grab each other's arms, and then they shout their, na- their sentinel names, and suddenly they're fused into a giant medieval knight with a sword. Nitron. And a shield. And so we have Gorganus, who is in armor-like costume, and Gorganus looks pretty good. Actually, really good. And then we have Nitron, who it looks like someone put cardboard they painted silver with some almost lace-like curtains to be the chainmail underneath on top of a onesie. Yeah, pretty much. And then Nimbar from the cave, who's watching them fight, is like, use Mega Caliber. It is the strongest sword in the universe. Yeah. So Nitron uses Mega Caliber. Anybody want, want to guess how? Um, um. If you said shoots laser blasts, you were correct. Oh, I was going to say hit it in the back of the head with the pommel. If you said shoot laser blasts, you get 100 points. What do I get? Uh, to watch episode two after we finish reviewing this episode. Oh, fun. Yep. So the team all teleports back to Nimbar's cave. And so Nimbar... Hold on. If you're just going to skip to that. When they get back, Swinton's like, that was amazing. And then Gordon, which at this point is my exact mood for this show, stumbles over his word and he's like, that? That was... I can't think of a word to describe it. Um, That's my impression of the show right now. Yeah. I can't think of a word to describe it. So they're going on about how cool it was and one of them says, I can't wait to tell my friends. I don't remember which one. And Nimbar's like, what? No, you can't do that. This is a secret. If Gorganos finds out, he'll kill you and all your like, family. Wait, 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 wait. You just said we had to fight this, and we'd be done, and we'd win. We'd be, we'd be Gorganos, and it'd be over with. And he's like, uh, I must have misspoke. That was one Gorganos monster. He's going to send more. Yeah. You're not Gar- done yet. Gorganos is not done yet. You're my bitches for the next year and a half. Yeah. You have to keep this secret, or else you and your loved ones will be in danger. So they're just like, okay, we can just for Nitron whenever and just win. And he's like, yeah, but Nitron has limited power. You can't just use him whenever you want. Yeah, and then he explains to them that whenever he needs them, their tattoos will flash because if they're not flashing, they're not visible. They just have weird alien pagers under their skin. I'm not really sure if that counts as tattoos. To be fair, Nimbar is very condescending here, too. Because he's like, whenever I need you again, I'll contact you via the transponders. And Gordon's like, oh, the tattoos. Yes, the tattoos. And Nimbar, so condescending. Yeah, he's just like, yes, tattoos. And then portals were opened up nearby for them. Um, we get a cut back to Garganos, and he's and like... And Skeksy Sam. And he's like, I will rebuild him stronger, better than he was before. Talking about Ninjabot. Well, not exactly. Skeksy Sam's just like, 
No, that, do, that, do that, we, no that's the scene. Skeksy Sam's asks if they're just going to get rid of it, and Gorgana's is like, no, I'm just going to like take these parts and put them in something new and make it better. I can, we, have, we can rebuild him. No, this we is not. We have the technology. No. So, see, like, Gorgana wants to establish easy forms of travel throughout the universe for everyone. He follows the whole reduce, reuse, recycle. Like, he uses every part of the ninja bot. And Nimbar is a disgusting blob on a pedestal. Who just picks random teenagers, shoves, forces them to have tattoos, and makes them fight things, and is just saying he's better than them to get them to do what he wants. Yeah. Uh-huh. So we come back to the cafe, where the group is all hanging out, and Swinton's dad's like, oh, hey, you are working as a group. Good job. To reward you, I'll take you all to dinner. And then his pager goes off, then their tattoos go off, they find a way to bell, and the episode just ends with them all saying, like, we're tattooed teenage alien fighters from Beverly Hills. No, that that is not how it ends. It's basically how it ends. Drew's like, right, well, the ta- the tattoos go off, and Drew's like, right, but after, we, after all, we are the tattooed teenage alien fighters, and then everybody together says... From Beverly Hills. And to steal a quote from CinemaSins, roll credits. So what are your thoughts so far on this at the end of episode one? Mm, that that was, um, I can't think of a word to describe it. I can think of four. <laughs> not great, not bad. Uh, it's not good. It's not particularly bad. It's funny. Yeah, it is. But in an unintentional way. As far as Sentai shows go, it's middling just very middle of the road so it's got quite a bit of cringe to it but you know that kind of comes with the whole genre and i mean uh, at least it has decent music going for it and gorganis yeah the music is actually bomb can i actually tell you you the audience how we came to watch this and it is because dustin suggested it but more so than that it's because i was sitting on the couch one night i was like you know what i want to do i want to rewatch mighty morphin power rangers from the beginning and i was like instead let's watch common rider so we watched the first two episodes of Common Rider. And I'm it was pretty, pretty sure the very first episode is just a fever dream I had. <laughs> That's how I feel. That first episode is a fever dream. The second one actually makes some sense. So then a few days later, I was sitting on the couch and I was like, I'm actually going to watch Power Rangers this time. And then Justice and I got talking. And I was like, you know what? We need a, new sh- we need a show to watch for an, an upcoming episode of, our, of Co-Pilots. I have an idea. And he was like, what are you talking about? I was like, don't worry, I just ordered it. And then he disappeared for a week because he went house-sitting. And while he was away, I sent him a picture of the DVD case. Because at this point, he did not yet know what we were reviewing. Justice, what was your impression when you got a picture of tattooed teenage alien fighters from Beverly Hills? Fuck. <laughs> were you excited about the cover? Did it appeal to you? Did, did the four wrestlers posing around the, the, the title? <laughs> you're right, you're right. I should be more verbose and... Accurate my words. Fucking fuck. 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 So, now that we've watched the first episode, do you still hold that sentiment to be true? Fuck. <laughs> okay, I guess that's it. Let's go into episode two. The Note. He has both episode titles in his notes. Guys. Guys. This is a miracle. The Note is a note I made. So, this episode, unlike the first one, opens with an intro by Nimbar, which is a little sad, because I was, I was just really looking forward to get, getting back into that sick music. I mean, it has the music in the background, drowned out by Nimbar's voice. 
Yeah, and he's talking about how he's the only thing that stands between Garganos ruling the universe. He's expositing all his exposit again. Yep, which, I mean, makes sense, right? Because this is a TV show that probably aired weekly and it needed. Yeah, but whenever I get these, I just think of the X-Men opening, the 90s X-Men cartoon opening, and I just enjoy that more. Telling you, that show's not as good as you remember. The music's fine. Uh, I've rewatched it recently. I never remembered it being particularly good. I just remembered enjoying it. Fun fact, I still enjoy it. That opening theme is kind of slamming, though. Yeah, and Gambit's as horrible and cringy and great as I remember. So after the Nimbar expositing, expositing to exposit... The show transitions to a high school, where Drew is upset that they didn't get a choice to be Sentinels to begin with. Lies. Oh? We start with Gorganus. Oh, yeah, pacing we always start angrily. With because conquering Earth is taking too long. He has to decide what monster to send down. That's what this is. And yeah. uh, that, 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 that's, what, that's what we get there. We go back to him after when he and decides. And then the show transitions to high school. Yeah, 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 we just see him angrily pacing and these Skeksis Sam being like, but why? And we come back to high school where Drew is upset because they didn't get a choice to be superheroes. They just had to be superheroes. Yes, Drew and Gordon are talking. And I'd like to establish here... If you haven't already taken the fact that of what I believe Gordon to look like, allow me to establish some more. Gordon at the beginning of this episode looks like the guy who is currently winning a law case in which he's being charged with date rape only because of his lawyers, and that he looks like the type of guy who's then going to go on to become one of those lawyers to represent future children like himself. So I know traditionally, or even like as an idea for the show, we don't like look forward to future episodes or do outside research, but there is an episode later on where he forces one of the girls out of their clothes and steals their panties and bra. I'd like to note, I made the note about him looking like a date rapist before I found out this fact, and I just feel validated. I don't have context for that because I just read it in like a bullet points of the show, like bad things and good things about it. But, damn, that's a pretty accurate call then. Like, jeez. Yeah. I got my validation, like, 20 minutes later. It was nice. So anyways, they're arguing because Drew's like, you need to have choices in life and be free to do what you want. And you, you Gordon, you just been to peer pressure whenever you... And whenever. rules. Peer pressure and rules. That's all you know. And Gordon's like, that's not true. Not in the slightest. That's the argument. Yeah, and then we come back to Gorganus. And he's on his base, and he decides he's going to send down the brain monster, Neregula. It's a picture meat from Mortal Kombat. Now picture Master Brain from Metroid. Now remove meat's head and put Master Brain on top. That's it. That wasn't all the work in this one. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. I like Neregula. He looks so much cooler than Ninja Bot. Yes. And also, unlike NinjaBot, his name isn't a contradiction to what he is. No, it's his, not. His name is Neregula, like Dracula plus neuro- neurology or yeah, yeah. neuro. I'm okay with this. I'd like to point out NinjaBot was probably just, because uh, I, I like my boy Garganus, so I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. He's actually speaking English when we see him, because he's trying to learn the language okay. of the people he's like invading. You know, he, he wants to get down in there, get to know the people, and feel and experience their culture. And, you know, he's like... He's trying to pull in too much information at once. So he's like, ninja, samurai, they're from the same place. I'm pretty sure they're the same thing. It was just a failing to understand on his part. 
I just assumed that ninjas and samurais were from outer space and the entire culture got <laughs> sent to Japan <laughs> via space and that Japan misunderstood ninjas and samurais, not, not Garganos. Garganos didn't make that misunderstanding. You know, I'm fine with either way. Okay, cool. So Either way, our boy Garganos, he's, he's in the clear. He's, he's, the, he's in the right. So now we come back to the cafe where Lori works. No, no, sorry. Where Lori is working on a list of all the clubs she's president of, and Drew works as a waitress. Yes. My bad. My nose had Lori working, and I just assumed that she was the one that works there. Yeah, no. So Drew makes a dig about how Lori's president and everything, and Lori's like, yeah, I work really hard. She just doesn't recognize that she's, like, being dissed. Which is kind of a theme for this next scene because Gordon comes in and he reignites the argument from earlier about like, not about how he does not give in to peer pressure. And he's like, I don't give in to peer pressure because when I decide to do something, I decide to do something because it's right, not because of peer pressure. And then we have Swindon show up in the background and, to interrupt the argument. No, because she's like, because then he's like, in fact, you're the one that bows to peer pressure because of your nonconformity. You're actually conforming to those around you by not conforming. Plus, you have a job. <laughs> yeah, Gordon's too rich to have a job. I mean, he basically just says, plus you have a job. Yeah, and then Swinton comes in. Yeah, and Swinton comes over and tries to horribly cover up what they were talking about, because he assumes it was about the being teenaged, guys, did tattooed you know, alien fighters from Beverly Hills. Guys, did you know they have an organic salad bar in the cafeteria now? And Drew goes, yeah, I'm the one that led the petition for it. Oh, so Swinton tries to horribly cover up about what they were talking about because he assumed it was alien teenage fighty stuff. And um, no, it wasn't. So Gordon then disses him. I don't remember this diss in its particulars. I don't but... remember the first one, no. But he And he, Swinton doesn't realize it. Swinton takes it as a compliment and then yeah. Drew's like, that was a diss. Yeah. And then Gordon's pager goes off. He's, PDA. Day, he's day planner. Yeah, his... His day electronic day planner. And Swinton's like, oh, I, do you think I should get a, a day planner? And Gordon's like, do you have dates to plan? And Swinton's like, oh, that was a diss, wasn't it? And Drew's just like, yeah. So Gordon Swinton, leaves. he learns. He does learn. It's almost like he's supposed to be the smart character. Ooh. Gordon leaves, and Lori asks, Lori comes over, and she's like, oh, shit. Did, Did Gordon, Gordon leave? leave? I, need, I need to give this book back to him. So she asked Swinton to give it back to Gordon because apparently too, way too much work for her. Yeah, which doesn't actually make sense in the like timeline of this episode. Oh, yeah, but this, this book will give given back to Gordon the next morning by Swinton. No, it can't be. It can't be the next morning because she had to leave because she was busy getting ready for her... Um, no, no. Drew had to leave after they make the note that we're going to get to the title of the episode, because she had a prep for her um, poetry reading that night. So, so, for some reason, they're at the cafe in the middle okay, of the day. Okay, so apparently they are free to leave campus for, I assume, lunch or something? Yeah, and she works on her lunch break. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't make sense. Or, or she just has a free period and she... Yeah, maybe. She interns at the cafe. So, <laughs> it gets returned later by Swinton, and then immediately Lori shows up to make sure he got the We're book. skipping some stuff here because... We're just proving that Lori just likes to make people do things because she can. Yeah, so she's like, can you turn the, can you give this back to Gordon Swinton? And Swinton's like, yeah. And then he's like, can you imagine, when Lori walks off, can you imagine Lori asking me to do her a favor? And Drew's like, I don't get what any of you guys 
see in Lori. Like, yeah. And honestly, I don't either. She has done nothing. I I can get it from a physical perspective almost because she kind of looks like Annie from Community, and yeah, that just makes me think she's crazy though. Yeah, but Annie is awesome. She's crazy, and I wouldn't want to be near her. I'm pretty sure I'm gonna get stabbed with something. Anyways, though, so Drew wants to teach Gordon a lesson, and she talks Swinton into going along with her plan to get back at Gordon for dissing Swinton. She's like, man, too bad nobody can impersonate Lori's handwriting because she's too perfect. And then Gordon, then Swinton's like, I have a computer algorithm that can do that. I used it to to, ha- to not take PE. Ha ha ha. Because he's smart and nerdy, so he must not do the sports or the physical activities. So, Drew dictates a letter to Swinton so he can take it and have... His computer scan it and replicate a handwriting. And the letter says, To the man I most admire. And keep in mind, this is supposed to be from Lori to Gordon. Well, I've always thought of you as rigid, uptight, and a rule follower. I now realize you'd break loose and forget the rules to be at my side if you knew I needed you. Yeah. Yep. So he takes that home to copy, to use his program to copy in Lori's handwriting. And And then makes back to school on time later. And they meet back up at school, and he meets up with Drew before giving the book to Gordon. And she's just like, act normal. And he immediately does not act. Squinton fails all charisma-based checks. Yeah, he's probably got like an eight in charisma. <laughs> I give it a six. That's really low for a normal person. Yes. Okay. We're talking TV show where he's the nerdy one. Oh, he's yeah. not a normal person. Not in charisma. So he gives the book to Gordon. And he's like, I also didn't read the note. And Gordon's like, what note? Which this note is just like taped, taped to the, the cover book. of the book. Not like folded and tucked inside the pages or anything. And it's, it's taped writing face up on the cover of the book. Yeah. This is a lot of levels of stupid. It's much more questionable if Swinton didn't read the note. Yeah. And so right after Swinton gives the book to Gordon, he, Im- he immediately turns around and there's Lori. Ah, no, just before that, Gordon does get a chance to read the note. Yeah, he reads the note, then turns and around, believes and then it. there's Lori. Yeah. And he, yeah, he believes it. He's like, he kind of like tucks at his collar, and he's like, well, of course she likes he me. He peacocks. He peacocks hard. Yeah, he peacocks. He's like, of course she likes me. Who couldn't like Gordon? And then he peacocks harder when Lori shows up. Yeah. And her beeper goes off, but nobody else's. Drew and Swinton are around the corner. They're still watching this happen. And he's just like, you know what? I'm going to go with you. Yes. And so they both jump through the portal. And, and in doing so, Gordon drops the note. Yes. Drew picks it up and her and Swinton walk away. And then we cut to back to with Gordon and Lori, where Nimbar's just like questioning why the fuck Gordon showed up. He's like, I picked you because you follow rules. Why are you here? Your pager didn't go off. Why be you? And Gordon's like, oh... It's not like it's against the rules for me to be here, is it? And he's like, no, but... Yeah. Why? So then Nimbar just basically ignores him from there then on out. And is telling... He's the best. He's just like, okay, well, This fuck mission off. briefing isn't for you. Lori, I need you to go scout some stuff for me. Do not engage. Do not fight. Just scout things for me. And he, he needs her to scout because he can't see the planet like he normally can. Because of solar flares? Solar storms is what solar he says. Solar storms? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're blocking his ability to scan. And so he's like... 
Glory. And they're also making power portals more difficult, which is why they shouldn't fight because they may not be able to escape. Yeah, he's like, Glory, I need you to go. Scout it. If you find something, don't engage it. Just try to get back here as fast as possible. Yes. So then we cut back to Drew and Swinton. Mm, so while he's like, Glory, go ahead. Gordon's like, I should go too. You yeah, know? yeah. Because I, I know, I just need you to know I can cut loose and forget the rules if you need me by your side. Yeah. He quotes the letter. I just ignored lot. Gordon like Swinton. I mean, I just ignored Gordon like Nimbar did. So they both step on the power. They both step on the discs. I don't remember what they're called. I don't know. You're the only one that had it in the notes. And they shout their teenage alien fighter constellation Tauros. names. Tauros. Scorpio. And they teleport away. Yes. And then we cut back to Swinton and Drew, who are off doing something regarding Drew's poetry night, which is getting AV equipment from a man named Dwayne. Which we forgot to mention, they talked about in the cafe. And when they talked about in the cafe, Drew insults Dwayne. Immediately after she mentions his name, and Swinton's like, I know him, he's my friend. She's like, you're friends with that guy and laughs derisively. Which is weird because she literally earlier when talking to Gordon was like, Swinton's an, a good guy. He's okay. We can we can trust him. Like, she sits there defending Swinton. Like, you can't just judge him because he... He's... Yeah, you can't just judge people. And then she's like, that guy? You're friends with Dwayne? Mind you, after we meet Dwayne, I judge him too. I judge him very hard. I don't judge Dwayne. I judge the writers. I judge the writers, yeah. Who wrote Dwayne. So... She picks up the letter off the floor that Gordon dropped. She's like, hey, Dwayne's running late. Um, can you show him where I live? I need to go rehearse for the poetry thing. Yeah. Yeah. So he's like, yeah, sure. I'm friends with Dwayne. I can go do that. You know, my friend that you made fun of, I can show him where you live. Because Dwayne's actually letting her use his personal equipment, which yeah. Swinton finds astounding. Like, Yeah, because Dwayne would never let someone do that. Yep, so... Then we cut back to Gordon and Lori in the desert. And literally when it cuts back, it's just Lori flipping through what is a canyon, because they're giant. And then we just see Gordon walking right next to the fucking camera, his face just from the side. And then he turns to face the camera, and it's... I lost my shit at this scene. I literally, like, cracked up laughing. Yeah, it was so horrible and badly shot, it was hilarious. Mm Mm-hmm. And... Also, Josh, I have a quick question. Why do you just randomly flip around when you're doing recon? I don't know. She's just doing flips. Uh, so while they're doing this reconning, in quotation marks, because it's really just flipping, they encounter Narigula. Yeah, he, he sees them, obviously, because they're just wandering around and flipping in any direction they choose. So Lori kind of backs up and looks like she's getting ready to run, but Gordon, who is egged on by the fake note. He's like, nah, I can break from the rules. I can be there for for you if you need me by your side. I can handle this. So he proceeds to go and attack Neregula. Yes. And get pwned. Yes. They get mm-hmm. pwned on a tiny bit. And then we cut back to... Drew's house. Yes. Where, we, where we're actually introduced to Dwayne. And mm-hmm. Dwayne is the most cringe-worthy nerd stereotype ever. He's overweight. He has a lisp. He has allergies, taped glasses chronic ear infections he's allergic to the sun knows a lot about tech seemingly overvalues the monetary worth of his possessions has to hay- make himself seem cooler has hay fever and sneezes without covering his mouth yes to the overvaluing his tech point 
at one point he holds up what appears to be an AC adapter. Mm-hmm. Or a battery, it was hard to tell. Yeah, like an AC wall adapter, maybe a battery charger. And he's like, this alone is worth $1,500. Yeah. Which, no, it's not. There's no way that's ever been worth $1,500. No, because it looks like it was for a basic VHS cassette uh, video camera. Yep. So Maybe slightly better, but that was nowhere near that amount. So Drew's tattoo begins to flash, and here's the thing. I, I'm going to go... They, their tattoos flashed earlier when Mr. Swinton, at the end of the first episode, when Mr. Swinton was like trying to take them out to eat. And when they flash, they also make like a beeping noise. Yes, they like I said, they're just alien pagers. How does nobody implanted under their skin? How does nobody hear that beeping noise? I don't know. But anyways, Drew's tattoo begins to flash, and so to try to like get away from Dwayne, she's like, "Can I get you guys any soft drinks?" And then Dwayne then says, "Yeah, exactly." And asks if she's low non-fat milk, which she's like, "No, um, oh. let me run to the market and get that." And then sometimes. Tattoo starts going off, too. And he's like, I'll go with her. I need some cereal. Yeah. Why don't you just go listen to some music? And they shove him into a room. They shove him into a room, shut the door, and the portal appears, and they hop in. Yes. And then he co- then Dwayne comes back out of the room, and he's like, you guys got any disco? And starts, like, classic disco dancing. I'm learning some moves. He's like, they were just here. Where'd they go? Anyways, Drew and Swinton arrive in... The Cave. The and cave with Nimbar. They're, they're quickly filled in that um, Gordon's an idiot and he started attacking things, even though he wasn't supposed to. And Drew feels bad because he's like, "This is definitely because." Swinton of- feels bad. Sorry, yeah. Swinton feels bad because he's like, "It's definitely because of that thing we did." And Nimbar's like, "What thing did you do? What 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 fucky, what fuckery are you working? Are you guys ruining my plan to and- use four random people <laughs> to fight off an evil, so Swinton an evil goes alien to, emperor?" Goes to start to tell Nimbar and Drew covers his mouth and drags him to the Transodisc? Is that his name? Transodisc, okay. yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. And they teleport away to join the fight. Yep, they arrive at the fight, um, and when they arrive, Drew is busy in the background doing backflips. And getting their asses kicked again. And we cut to Gorganus. Sorry. Drew isn't busy doing backflips. Lori is in oh, the yeah, background yeah. doing backflips. And Drew is just being knocked around. No, when Drew and Swinton arrive... Lori's in the background Gordon. busy doing backflips. Gordon, that's his and name. And Gordon's busy getting yeah, his yeah. ass kicked. And then we cut to Gorganus, who is upset that reinforcements have arrived. Yep. So and the sadly, team... this is like the most we get from him, and it's just him being upset. Mm-hmm. So the team kind of like fends off Neregula. They get hit by his like scream where he's using his brain frequencies to like physically attack people. Mm-hmm. And then, then they're like, mm, that's enough. I'd like to point out this attack. So... I'd like you to, to once again, again, imagine the creature that is an irregular. Meat plus master brain on top, mother brain on top of things. Now imagine the front of the brain, where you can see the two hemispheres of the brain joining. Now, I know it's immature, but we all know it looks like a butt. Yeah, okay. Now, where, Yeah, where his neck should be. Yeah, it looks like a butt. Okay, we're good. Now imagine a classic cartoon where someone farts and it's fire. That is the animation. It's just from where the butt shape is. Just so the team all and it's never like lined up well. Whoever photoshopped that in, it's always at a bad angle. So the team kind of like gets back together in a group of four and teleports back to Nimbar's cave. So they arrive in Nimbar's cave and they immediately start strategizing on how to deal with this brain monster. Yes, and they are told that its attack is generated by the two halves of the brain working in unison. So they need to. Create a way to stop the to two de- halves of the brain from communicating. To desynchronize the right and left hemispheres. So here I am, hoping we're finally going to see someone use this sharp object 
and perform a corpus callosomy. Now, for those of you who don't know, a corpus callosomy has been used mainly in extreme seizure and stroke victims. You take the right and left hemisphere of the brain and you just cut in between it. And it stops the brain from relaying information and signals from one side to the other really easily. I was like, violent runs these sharp objects. This is actually going to be a kind of cool way to take down this villain. And so the, I was like, Josh, it's going to be a fucking corpus callosomy. And uh, um, that, 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 that doesn't happen. No, and in fact, they're talking like, and Swinton's like, yeah, one side of the brain is all emotion, and the other side's logic, and like, I wasn't on the corpus callosomy thing, I was like, ah, so they gotta like, present it with a logical emotional paradox, so that it like, malfunctions. If, if you can tell one of us likes um, brain stuff, like neurology and psychology a bit more, because also the moment they started talking about emotion and logic, I, uh, I face palmed very, very hard. I just immediately went to Bo Burnham's stand-up routine. Oh, my brain went there, too. Mm-hmm. And like, and then I severed that connection with a corpus callosomy. <laughs> and, like, they're like, oh, okay. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. So they're going to trick it, and that's how they're going to beat it. So they're using this strategy meeting to figure out how to beat the monster. They teleport back, summon their weapons. And just shoot it with lasers. And that doesn't work because it screams again and their brains hurt. Their brains hurt. Not Neregula's brain that's on the outside. And so they're like, hmm, I know he said we can only use it a couple times because it doesn't have infinite power. But they just turn into nitron and shoot it with more lasers. <laughs> yeah, they turn So it-, it kind of crumples to the ground. Gorganus gets upset and he's just like, <sighs> Oh, you, actually, you- I, um, yeah. in this cave scene, when they're strategizing before they turn into nitron and fight mm-hmm. it, there's a really confusing piece of dialogue where, where, oh, where they oh, ask yeah, yeah. about how the monster has been reconfigured and upgraded since the last time, implying that this is Ninja Bot. But yeah. that doesn't make any sense because we know it's not Ninja Bot. This is a new monster. Gargano's pretty much like confirms that. Yeah, he he summoned it. Yeah, and and also Ninja Bot was a Ninja Bot. Yeah. Anyways, they beat it with Nitron. Gargano's is mad, and he recalls he, he, this back to his base too. It's basically like Nurigula, you did well. Return and pokey bobble noises and all the, all that fun stuff. So, they get back, and when they were all originally in the cave, Swinton, or Drew, I can't remember, when they were all in the cave strategizing, one of them had let slip something about the note, and so they all get back, and um, Gordon's like, what did you mean about the note? And, like, confronts them. So, Drew explains it to Gordon. And Gordon's upset. Lori looks a little upset that they, like, used And her. Nimbar is extremely upset. He's pissed because Drew... The, the person, rule breaker. The person he picked because she's a rule breaker broke some fucking rules. Because she has no care for social norms or mores. I'm so confused by this. He's like, you, Drew, you are centaur because you're the rule breaker. And she actually looks upset that Nimbar is mad at her. And I'm just like, this is like your second, third interaction or some shit with this guy. He's just a blob. Guy's a strong word. He's a blob on a pedestal. Yeah. And... You're upset by the fact that he's angry at you? Yeah. You didn't care when Drew... when Drew, you didn't care when Gordon was getting upset or when Lori was getting upset, but when the weird sentient blob on a pedestal gets upset. when Who glows and throbs and... I know why she gets upset. He's the most outside of the norm for her that she wants to be liked and fit in by him. <laughs> And fit in uh, with him. That's what it is. She wants to just be so outside the norm that her only friend is this weird alien blob thing. 
Yeah, so we cut to outside of the cafe. It's nighttime. And then we cut into the cafe where Drew is giving her poetry reading. Justice, would you like to take the poetry <clears throat> reading? The last few seconds yes. we get of it. <clears throat> you gotta be dramatic. You can do this. Splink. Splink. All is not. Rejoice. And then she falls on the stage. Yes. And the crowd who are gathered start snapping their fingers in that applause kind of thing. That like, I don't, I, I, yeah, that thing. And so the group's all talking about her poetry re- reading and how good it was. And apparently, it had a fifteen-minute pause of silence. And Drew's like, "Yes, that's to, that's to symbolize the silence of dissent." Avant-garde poetry is bullshit. I would smack her so hard, making me sit there for 15 minutes. Um, no, see, see, this is how it would happen. She invites me. She, the moment she starts the avant-garde poetry shit, I'm just like, oh, wait, we're not. We're supposed to pretend not to be friends in public. Boo! What is Boo. this? What the 15 fuck? 15 minutes of silence? Get off the stage. Hey, can I get a new order of coffee? Cool. Why is my waitress reading bad poetry? A uh, little less foam on this one. I want it to be as scalding hot as possible. I'm throwing it at that, that that thing on the stage. Yeah, man. Splink, splink. Mm. Yeah. So then Drew goes to twer- tear up the note because well, she's learned her lesson. Gordon asked for the note because oh, yeah. he wants to destroy it so nobody knows that he was made to look like a fool. And Drew goes slipping through her stuff and she's like, I don't, I don't know where it is. It was in my stuff. And she looks, she's like, the only person that was there was Dwayne. And over and... Dwayne's just like, I got your note. It makes a kissy face, yeah. So the team laughs at her, and we cut to the credits, and that's it. That is the end of those two episodes of Tattoo Tattoo Teenagers. And so that's the two episodes of Tattoo Teenage. Alien Fighters. Tattoo Teenage. Alien Fighters from Beverly Hills. My voice cracked so bad on that. I could feel my voice was going to go, so I just didn't try. That's the first two episodes of Tattooed Teenage Alien Fighters from Beverly Hills. Justice. Yeah. What do you think? The music overall is actually pretty good. I gotta give it up for my boy Gorganis and his great sidekick, Skeksky Sam. Emperor of the Galaxy, and maybe one day, Emperor of the Universe. We can only hope. He does have pleasure planets. He does. And he rewards people justly. Like, you complete your job, you get way more than, like, what I would assume is appropriate. Like, a million credits is probably in and of itself more than enough. It sounds like a lot. Like, a million of anything is a it's lot. It's a large number, yeah. I remember in kindergarten, we had a project where we had to bring a thousand of something in so we could, like, visualize what a thousand looked like. I still have no idea what a million of something actually looks like. Yeah. And then, sometime on a pleasure planet... Plus, he was going to reward him with some special treasure from his own trove, which I assume has to be, like, above a million credits and the pleasure planet. Yep. So, this is us. Looking forward to that day, Gorg... Gorganus um, becomes the ruler of us all, man. Yep. So, other than Emperor Garganos... Um, yeah, the uh, most important question here is... Well, my most important thing is, Nimbar is the villain. Just throwing that hands down, guys. Nimbar is villain. From these two episodes, hard to agree. Yeah. He also doesn't seem like he has any plan at all. I'm never going to trust something that looks like if I'm playing a video game, I should smack it and get loot from it. I'm just concerned. I'm not even like seeing it as a boss monster. I'm seeing it's just like the equivalent of breaking a crate and getting like some ammo or an item. 
I'm just concerned that he can literally grow limbs at will. Yeah. And is still sitting on a pedestal. Oozing? Yeah. And uh, the most important thing is, why? Why do we have weapons with blades when they just shoot lasers? Yeah, that's a good question. It would really change up the whole fighting sequence from flipping, flipping, flipping. Wait, wait, we cut to Lori. She's just going to do a jumping scissor kick. Hit nothing. That's how she dodges stuff. She does the jumping like no, splits. No, 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 no. She did it when nothing was attacking her. Oh, yeah, okay. The scissor kick. Not, not the splits. Not bad. the splits. The scissor kick to hit nothing and just move her way across the screen. Yeah. My favorite, though, is when, like, the others are fighting a regular and she's in the background backflipping back and forth. Like, yeah. she backflips through through the screen to the left, stops mid-screen, then backflips out of, out of frame again. Yes. So, uh, my final conclusion is I wouldn't watch it um, if I were you. I'm probably going to watch it because we own the series. Yeah, so... Not watching it on one sitting, not watching it anytime soon. Gonna, I might just watch it for Clips of Organis and skip the rest. So... And to prove Nimbar's a villain. For me, this show is the definition of a hot mess. Right? Like, it doesn't have its own internal consistency. What with the... How was this reconfigured and upgraded? And the tattoo on the... The the Galactic Sentinel version of Lori. But more important to me, though, is this show was actually not the worst thing we've watched recently. G.I. Joe was worse than this. The best parts of both, of the, that, both that show and this show have been the villains. No, the best part of both of those shows was the music. G.I. Joe and Tattooed Teenage Alien Fighters from Beverly Hills have bangers for openers. The second best thing of both of these shows have been the villains. That. That I can agree with. So, that brings me to the question. Would I watch the rest of this series? I think... The answer should be... Should be a no. But I do plan on finishing it. And partially, that's because I spent $12 to buy it. And partially, it's because of the novelty of it. Like, a purely American Sentai... With what appear to be wrestlers as the, like, Sentai. Ooh, buddy. <laughs> I think at the very most you should do in regard to this show is just type it into Google Images and look at it. And then never, never look at it again. Well, they're not going to have to. I'm going to link to some search images in the show notes along with the theme song in the show notes because that theme song is going to be stuck in my head literally forever. Yeah. I mean, that's good. That's better than them doing it themselves. Because Google might try to refer more things about it to you. Yep. So, that's this episode of Copilots. Before we touch down, if you would like to get in contact with us, you can reach us at our email. At copilotsreview at gmail.com. Or, you can reach us on Twitter. At copilotsreview. Or, on our Discord, which is in the show notes because I still haven't learned how to say that link out loud. It's some letters and numbers. Lastly, all of this information to contact us can be found on our website, copilotreview.simplecast.com. So, this has been our review for Tattoo Teenage Alien Fighters from Beverly Hills. Thank you for flying with us, and please fly again. Shit, I think I hit a pigeon.